Genesis chapter 45. While you're turning to Genesis 45, Pastor, that's in the Old Testament. Uh, I thought you'd want to know that. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about my family. Uh, one wife, uh, two sons. Jason is uh, just about 40 years old, and uh, he lives in Southern California. He works for the California Highway Patrol. Uh, he's been with them for about 15 years, Our, and he has one son named Cole. He's eight years old. And then my other son, Jared, and his wife, Sarah, and their three little girls live in Vernon, where Jared is an occupational therapist. Uh, that's our family. About 25 years ago, um, life was really good for us. It was really, really good. And then my wife's health started to change. She started to get really, really bad migraines. And that was just the beginning of a very, very difficult road that we're on for the last 25 years. Her migraines today, as they have been for most of those years, are incessant. They are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They don't stop. Uh, they are so severe that they cause seizures. And uh, with, with the severity of the pain uh, is vomiting. And her vomiting is so severe that because her osteoporosis is so bad, when she, when she vomits, she fractures ribs. Uh, which means she can't breathe properly. So therefore, she has pulmonary issues. And that means, like this last winter, she had pneumonia twice, and it was very, very, very difficult for us. She has a pacemaker, uh, kidney failure, uh, six vertebrae are disintegrated. She can, she can barely, barely walk at all, and she lives in just incessant pain. Physical limitations is one thing, but pain is a completely, completely different realm. And that's the world that we live in. On three occasions, uh, when she was hooked up to everything in the emergency room, they took all her jewelry off of her and, and gave it to me and said, you can say your last goodbye, call the boys. She's, she's still with us today. And so I, I needed to step aside from ministry a year ago to take care of her because I couldn't do both. I just couldn't do it. And I, I made that decision without hesitation, uh, without any regrets, no looking back, no turning back. I made the right decision. Uh, we made the right decision. We're glad that we did. And, and I am honored to be, uh, I've told her this, I am honored that God would allow, entrust you into my care. I'm honored that he would do that. And so we said for better, for worse, and we meant it. And uh, so that's where we are. And, of course, through that we wrote the book that has been the new direction of ministry for us. So all of that to bring us to where we are. Pastor Paul said, would you speak to the issue of suffering in our lives? Would you speak to to uh, hardships? Would you speak to the whole idea of trusting God when, when life hurts? And so I want to do that today. Uh, and I want to talk to you surrounding a phrase that is a prayer that I use all the time. This is not a little mantra. This is me pouring my heart out to God from the deepest part of who I am. And it is because sometimes it gets really, really tough. And this is what I pray. I say, God, I thank you. I thank you and I thank you that you are a sovereign God. That's what I want to talk to you about. So we're going to look at some of how that works in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. We're, we're going to pick up the story in, in Genesis 45 where, where uh, Joseph, for the very first time, is going to see his brothers after over 20 years. They think he's dead and gone. They don't know that he's alive. And they come to him to buy food. 
And, and then Joseph in that meeting says, hey, it's me, it's Joseph. And I want, and he's in the midst of adversity in his life. And so I want to pick up the first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 45. So here we are at the meeting of the brothers. Then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence, which means they were afraid that this is a time of retribution. Now we're going to pay for what we did. They were pretty worried. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me and don't delay. And you shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I also will provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, lest you and your household and all you have are impoverished. And behold, your eyes see and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept. And Benjamin fell on his neck, and he kissed his brothers, and he wept on them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. How do you, as a believer, handle life when you know that God is sovereign? You know he makes no mistakes. Everything he does has purpose. And you are in the middle of the furnace of affliction. How do you handle that? Look at Joseph. How does he make sense of the dream that he knew would create resentment from his family because his parents and his brothers were going to bow down and worship him? He knew that was going to bring trouble on him. He was given the favorite robe. He knew his brothers would hate him for that. They discuss murdering him. They sell him into slavery. And he's falsely accused of adultery with Pharaoh's wife. He's thrown in jail. His only friend in jail is his only card to get out of jail. His friend forgets him. And he knows that God's in control of all things. And life is really, really bad for him. And then you go right next, right after chapter 45, you go to chapter 46, where all of a sudden Joseph is the second man in command of all of Egypt. 
providing food for the entire nation. He's put together the most economic, socio, and agricultural plan that there ever was to provide enough food for the country for seven years and also other lands around them. How do you understand God's sovereignty when you have all this awful stuff going on and then some great things going on? How do you do all of that? How does he get beyond the devastating experiences that totally turned his life upside down, totally robbed him of everything he knew, separated from his family, a new country, a new language, all alone? It's unfair. It's unjust. And yet and yet he lives a wonderful, victorious life. Here are some of the great things about Joseph. Joseph is the what is called an Old Testament type of Jesus. In other words, if you want if you want to go into the Old Testament and see what Jesus looks like, look at Joseph. Joseph is a wonderful picture in the Old Testament of who Jesus is. If you want to know what Jesus looks like, look at Joseph. If you want to know what Joseph looks like, look at Jesus. Joseph lived a victorious Christian life. You know that the Bible writes has more in it about Joseph than any other character other than Jesus? You know that, that the Bible talks more about Joseph than it does about the second coming? He is a big deal. He's a very important character in the Bible, and he has a lot, an awful lot to teach us. So where do you go? How do you handle it when you know that God is sovereign, God is in control, God makes no mistakes, God is perfect... How do you understand all of this about God? For example, I think of Lois Schoenberg, personal friend of ours. Uh, her husband, Ed, if you remember, about seven years ago, was one of the Surrey Six that was murdered. He was working, repairing a fireplace. And he was in the middle of a crime scene. He took two bullets in the back of the head. Fifty-two years old. Here's his wife with two teenage kids. How do you handle all of that? How, how do you explain Lois, who has every reason in the world to be angry, to be bitter, to live in bondage and discouragement and defeat and just hate everything, when she could be that? And yet, if you met jo- Lois, you would say, here is a very joy-filled, wonderful person. Is it easy for her? No. But here's a woman who has understood something of God's sovereignty. I think of Keith Frew, a friend of mine who's a retired missionary. If you met Keith, you'd say, this guy has one of the most radiant, happy countenances you ever will meet. You talk to him, and you know what? He's, there is not an ounce of discouragement or bitterness or bondage in this man's voice. He is living the victorious, joyful, spirit-filled life. And you go, wow, what a great guy. But what you don't know is all of his story. Twenty years ago, he and his 15-year-old son and a friend, they were missionaries in Africa. These three guys decided to go on a weekend camping trip. So they're out there having a great time, and one day they're swimming in the river. Somebody yelled, Crocodile. Keith made it out. His friend made it out. His 15-year-old son didn't make it out. In front of his very own eyes, Keith saw a crocodile tear his son from limb to limb and eat him. And yet, when you talk to Keith, he has tears in his eyes. He misses his son. But there's something about him that is contagious. There is a deep sense of joy in this man's life. 
And and it's found in something that we see in Joseph here that surrounds the, the sovereignty of God. So let's go back to the big question. How do you move from experiences that naturally would germinate things like hatred, anger, bondage, bitterness, confusion, injustice, unfairness? How do you move from all of that in the midst of adversity to living a victorious, victorious, joy-filled Christian life? How do you do that? Well, it's found right here. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. And it's found, Joseph displays to us how he found victory in the sovereignty of God, and I want to point it out to you in three verses. I want you to notice verse 5, verse 7, and verse 8. He says the same thing three times. This is really powerful. It's short, but boy does he nail it. Verse 5. And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Don't be mad about that. Okay? Here it comes. For God sent me. I'm here because God sent me. You guys think I'm here just because you sold me? No, I see it differently. God sent me here. Look at verse 7. He starts out by saying, God sent me. God sent me here. And then you go to verse 8. He says it again. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me, but it was God. Now, that's a brief statement, but it's loaded. It's loaded with a man understanding and living victoriously because he has discovered the trustworthiness of the sovereignty of God. Now, what do we mean when we talk about the sovereignty of God? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what the sovereignty of God declares. The sovereignty of God declares the supremacy of God. He is the supreme being. There isn't even a close second. In addition to that, it declares the kingship of God. He's the king, capital K. The only capital K king in the universe since before the beginning of time. We're referring to the godness of God, His very essence. He's the most high. He does according to His will. Listen to what one of my favorite Bible characters says about Him. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. I call him Big King Neb, okay? Big King Neb lived like an animal for seven years, and then, you know, he was arrogant. He was so arrogant. He says, God, look, look at this great kingdom I've made for you myself. Look at who I am. Look at me, Mr. Big Stuff. And God says, I'll show you. And he made him eat grass. His nails grew like the claws and the talons of an eagle. And then one day, one day, Nebuchadnezzar says this, and I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. When I came to my senses, when I came to my senses, he says this, when I came to my senses, I recognized that all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand and no one can question him and say, what are you doing? What have you done? In other words, he's not accountable to anybody because he's God. That's part of what sovereignty means. He's the Almighty. He's the possessor of power of heaven and earth, and no one can ever, ever come against his counsels or defeat him in any way. I like the way David says it in Psalm 115, verse 3. 
He says, our God is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. Because he's God. Preacher I like to listen to, Dr. Tony Evans. Kind of sounds like Dr. Paul Hawks, doesn't it? Doctor, I like it. Dr. Tony Evans says this about the sovereignty of God. He says, when God says something, if you don't like it, adjust. Because he isn't going to. We do the adjusting. We're not God. He is God. Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.15, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and dominion. You know what dominion means? He's in charge of everything. It's his. It's his domain. He owns it. It's His. You may own a domain on the Internet, but you know what? God owns the domain of everything. It's His. Calvin puts it this way. This is a really good definition of the sovereignty of God. He is the Creator and Lord of all things. And consequently, He is free to do whatever He wills. He's not subject to or answerable to anyone. Man is in no position to judge God for what he does. That's the God of the Bible. So how how do you see the sovereignty of God in Joseph's life? Because here he is, all of a sudden he's saying, you know what? God sent me here. I I believe that God put me here. I'm trust I've put my trust in God. Do you see it? And these are really important points I'm going to give you. You'll see it a little bit later. Does he see it when he's 17 years old and he's sold into slavery? No, he doesn't see it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't see it. Does he see it 13 years later when he's Pharaoh's right-hand man and in charge of the country? No, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it when he's put together this great, amazing plan of, of putting enough food together to save the nation for seven years. He doesn't see it. He sees it almost 25 years later, about 22 years later. He sees it when his brothers are standing before him, and then all of a sudden it makes sense. All of a sudden it makes sense, and he goes, I get it. I get it. I get it. God, in his great sovereignty, put me through all that stuff, and now I get it. The difference between Joseph and most of us, is the difference between Joseph and Job. Joseph is one of those rare people who in his lifetime was able to understand why God allowed his hardships. Job didn't know until he got to heaven. And then he got the explanation of of all the hardships that God allowed him to go through. And it's true that most of us are more like Job than we are like Joseph. We're going to have to wait until we get to heaven. My wife and I have given up trying to figure out why. Oh, we still ask why. It's a cry of the heart, just like Jesus on the cross when he said why. But we're we're pretty sure that we're going to have to wait until we get to heaven. And I keep reminding her, Linda, God is going to surprise you in the same way he surprised Job. And Job must have gone, wow, I had no idea. And I think when when Linda gets to heaven, God's going to show her 
his sovereign reasons. And we're going to bow at his feet and we're going to go, wow. Wow, we had no idea. We had no idea. So what do we draw out of this? Well, there is some wise counsel in this story which brings out the sovereignty of God that we are trying to learn to live by. And I want to share them with you. When you're facing suffering, when you're facing hardship, when you're in pain, when everything is going bad and wrong and unfair, you may be the victim of your choices. You may be the victim of someone else's choices. But whatever the case may be, you're in the furnace. One of the first things that I see in this story that we seek to live by is we learn to, we try to learn to see the bigger picture. We try to see the bigger picture. See, Joseph said, you know, uh, God sent me here. Remember I said a little while ago that Joseph didn't understand when he was 17? He didn't understand when he was 30? He didn't understand until much later? You see, he could not define his life by one event. He had to define his life by a much, much bigger picture. And when he saw the bigger picture, he saw the sovereignty of God. And you know why that's so important? If you don't see the big picture and you only look at one little thing, then you are set up by the devil to make a horrendous mistake. I like to follow uh, world leaders. Uh, these are extremely intelligent people who are charged with responsibilities that are greater than I can imagine. And, and I like to watch their minds work. And every now and then you see an incredibly intelligent, powerful person make an incredibly stupid decision that destroys them. And I say, how in the world can you be so smart and have so much wisdom and so much knowledge and have all of that, and you just made a stupid little decision that destroys your life and your reputation and your ability to lead? How could you do that? It's because they're just trying to live in the moment. Or live in one isolated little situation and they're vulnerable. And, and see, let me make the, let me make the point by contrast. Abraham Lincoln, uh, one of the greatest leaders of the modern world, godly man. I read everything I can about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, well, let me just tell you how he handled his life and show you the importance of not seeing one isolated incident or one, just one chapter in your life. Listen, listen to what Abraham Lincoln his life was like. When he was 22 years old, he failed in business. When he was 23, he ran for legislature and lost. At 24, he tried business again, went bankrupt again. 25, he was elected to legislature. When he's 26, his sweetheart died. When he's 27, he has a nervous breakdown. When he's 29, he runs for office and he's defeated for speaker. Two years later, 31, he tried it again. He was defeated for elector. Age 34, he said, I'm going to run for Congress. He was defeated. Defeated, defeated, defeated. Age 37, he's elected to Congress. Age 39, he's defeated for Congress. Age 46, he's defeated for Congress. Age 47, he's defeated for vice president. Age 49, he's defeated for Senate. Age 51, he's elected president of the United States by a margin of 81%. What's going on there? Abraham Lincoln saw the big picture. He was not stumbled by one defeat, one hardship. He knew, he knew what God had called him to do. And he saw the bigger picture, and he was able to see that because God is sovereign. And God has a bigger picture. And that's one of the things that we're learning. We have some really, really bad days. 
And if we look at those days by themselves, they'll swallow you up. They'll, they'll swallow you up with defeat quicker than you can blink. But one of my roles under God is to prevent us from making that mistake. And I keep reminding us both that there's a bigger picture here going on. And we need to continue to trust God. Something else that, that I see in Joseph's life, and we're trying to live, and here's another piece of wise counsel. Don't judge the destination by how bumpy the road is. Look at how bumpy the road was in Joseph's life. I mean, it was tough. And don't judge the destination by how bumpy the road is. You know, um, years ago, uh, I had a car that was a rusted out, old, ugly piece of junk that was always breaking down. I mean, this car was so bad that it made walking a pleasure. It really did. This thing was awful. And when I'd get out on the freeway and I'd see the speed limit sign, for me, that was a goal. I hope I can accomplish that. I want to try and get that speed. And I used to take this car to go in to see Pastor Brooks every couple months. Pastor Brooks mentored me, a wise, wise, godly man. And I would say to myself, now I've got to get into this old piece of junk, which probably isn't even going to get me there, and it's going to be an awful trip in. And then I would forget that very quickly because I was excited about what I was going to learn from Pastor Brooks. I could hardly wait to hear what he was going to pour into my life. I, I, I endured the bumpy road and the awful car and the awful ride because I was going to go see Pastor Brooks. And you know what? Life is bumpy, but one day we're going to see the king. We're going to go see the king. And you can either focus on the bumpy road or you can focus on the fact that you're going to go see the king. You're going to go see the king. You don't have control over what happens to you but you do have control about how you respond to it. And you know, you, you have a choice to make. You can either live defeated, or you can live bitter, you can live angry, vengeful. You can play the victim card. But you know what? I don't want to live like that for the rest of my life. You know, I'm 63 years old. I don't want to live defeated, angry, bitter, play the victim card for the rest of my life. I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. You know, it's a little bit like the old man who was sitting on the porch and somebody went up to him and said, have you lived here all your life? And he said, not yet. You know, I haven't lived all my life yet. I want to live a victorious life. You know, I can't live above the circumstances, but by God's grace, I can live victoriously in the midst of my circumstances. And that's what the sovereignty of God provides for us. And Jesus says this in John 17, 17. Listen to what he says. And this is eternal life. He's going to define eternal life for us. He doesn't say this will be. He's not talking about the future. He's talking present tense. You want to know what eternal life is? This is eternal life. That right here, right now, that you can know me. You know what he's saying here? That you can know me in Jesus Christ who was sent. You know what he's saying there? You don't have to wait to heaven to enjoy all of the benefits of eternal life. You can have all of the resources of heaven at your disposal, not in a location, but in a person of Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes into your life and you embrace the sovereignty of God, 
and choose to live by trusting in the sovereignty of God, He will bring that victorious, eternal quality life to you, which will enable you to live in victory. That's what Joseph learned, and that's what we're continually trying to learn in our home. But you know what? There's something else here you need to think about. You're being watched. In regards to how you handle your hardship, we're being watched all the time. You know, we live in, a, in an area of Abbotsford that has a lot of Indo-Canadians. And I've become very, very good friends with some of them. Very good friends with some of them. And, and they, they can't quite figure me out. Well, there's another subject. But, you know, they can't quite figure this out. This, this trust in God thing. Because, you see, they don't... They're basically pantheistic. God is everything. God is the chair. God is the tree. God is the light. God is the dirt. But this idea of having a personal relationship with God and to watch us, and I know we're being watched. And it's not because I'm a pastor, though they know that. But, you know, the point that I want to make to you this is someone is counting on your faithfulness. Someone's counting on your faithfulness to be an example to them. They're counting on that faithfulness. There's some wise counsel for you. Trust in the sovereignty of God because the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Let me tell you a story. A friend of mine told me a story of a, his, a friend of his whose name is John. John is a pastor in New York. John was traveling from New York to Chicago. He's on the plane, and seated behind him, beside him is a man and they, whose name is Richard, and they start talking. And... Uh, they come to discover that they have a lot of things in common. They served in the military together. They saved, saved, served overseas together. They've been married uh, about the same amount of years. They both have three, four kids. Uh, they both served in Army intelligence, so their stories are quite similar. And Richard, so then John says to him, well, where are you from? And he said, well, I'm from this small town in Nebraska. You've never heard of this little town in Nebraska, but that's where I'm from. He goes, okay, fine. He says, I'm just going home because uh, my wife just passed away a few months ago, and I have uh, terminal cancer, and I'm, I'm going home to be with my parents for the last days of my life. And as the plane was landing, Pastor John led Richard to the Lord. I don't know, four, six months later, Pastor John is on the same flight from New York to Chicago. Seated beside him is a lady. And so he says to her, uh, my name is John, what's your name? No, he didn't, he didn't tell her her name. He didn't tell her his name. He says to her, his first question is, where are you from? And uh, she says to him, well, I'm from a small town in Nebraska. You've never heard of it. And she goes, oh, yeah. He says, yeah, I've heard of that town. I met a guy from there. And, and he didn't tell her who he had met. And she looks at him and she says, you must be Pastor John. And he says, why do you say that? Because my son Richard told me about you. You see, we've been praying for years that Richard would come back to the Lord. And when, when Richard told us the story of how he met you on the plane, and that how you prayed with him and brought him back to the Lord, we were so thrilled. He says, Richard just died, she said. He just died recently. But I always looked for the privilege of being able to say thank you to Pastor John. I never thought I'd ever get the chance. And here I am, right beside you. Isn't God good? And so they prayed together as the plane was going down. And as she was about to depart, she said to him, Oh, there's one more thing you need to know. 
She said, this, the seat that I'm in, this is not my seat. My seat is about four rows back, and the person wanted to trade so they could sit with their friend, and that's why I'm sitting here today. And you and I go, wow, isn't that an interesting coincidence? Really? Is it really? It's a coincidence to whom? It's not a coincidence to the Christian who says, Today, God, order my steps. I'm going to trust in your sovereignty. I'm going to, I'm going to trust in you, and my life is for your glory. And God's purpose in our hardships is twofold. It is, first of all, to bring honor and glory to his name so others will, people will see the goodness of God in your hardship because there's no greater worship than the sufferer's worship. And the second purpose in suffering is for God to make us more into the image of Christ. So I, I want to ask you a question. But I want to read a verse to you first, a verse that means an awful lot to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Listen really carefully to this verse. Listen really carefully. This is personal, very personal for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction, what I'm going through, God calls light momentary affliction. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Light momentary affliction. An eternal weight of glory. So let me read it again. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Elizabeth Elliot said, The will of God is not always exactly as we think it is. Sometimes it feels worse. But in the end, the will of God is going to be bigger and better than you ever could have imagined. So let me bring you to, the, to a question. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, he was martyred by Hitler three weeks before, Mar- before Hitler was killed. Great theologian. He, he posited this question. He said, what is the most important hour in history? And as soon as I read that, I closed the book because I didn't want to see his answer. I wanted to see if I could figure it out. So here's the question in front of you. What would you say is the most important hour in history? So I said, okay, I'll play the game. Uh, Is it creation? That's a pretty big one. Uh, Oh, I know. Is 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 it the crucifixion of Christ for our sins? Well, that's awfully big. Or, or is it the resurrection of Christ? Or is it the ascension of Christ? These are big. Or is it the return of Christ? I thought, okay, those are my best five answers. So I opened up Bonhoeffer's book, and I read the next line. The question again is, what is the most important hour in history? And I went... You know what the most important hour in history is? This one. This one. 
Because you can do something about it. You can't do anything about the next hour. You can't do anything about the last hour. But you can do something about the hour that you're in. And I want you to think about what you're doing in this hour. God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are sovereign.